Hey, this is Joseph Massonary. I'm the pastor at Cornerstone, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope this helps you build your faith. I hope in some way that God will challenge you with a new perspective as you listen. Enjoy the message. Big thanks. I was I was speaking with Eric. Um, this is what happens when you talk backstage and have like a, a real conversation with the preacher. Last Sunday, he was talking to me behind the curtain, and some of the stuff he was just sharing on his uh, on his that was on his heart about fasting and prayer. Oh my goodness! I was just excited listening to his not his wealth and knowledge. I was excited listening to him just um, be excited about the things of God. How many of you know you have a message to share? Like each of you has a testimony, and I just think it's good to, to, to have the body of Christ share with each other. So can we thank him for that? Thank you, Mr. Eric. And uh, I think there's something spiritually. I love uh, the drummers in our church are some of the most godly men you'll ever meet. And I don't think that's by like coincidence. We've got Eric Stretz and Jerry LaMontagne and Mark Rich. They're three of the most amazing Christian men you'll ever meet. And I think that's, that's interesting from a spiritual dynamic of who is setting the pace for us, right? Sometimes as a church and as we worship. So just some cool things to think about. Do you have a Bible this morning? Are you awake this morning? Are you ready to get into the Word today? Because I'm telling you, God's, the Scripture is going to just speak to us today. Luke chapter 4. If you have a Bible, would you open it to Luke chapter 4 and just hold tight with it for a minute. Can we also welcome anyone? We know there's a lot of things going on and if you can't be here in church on Sunday, that's okay. We want you to join us online and so can we welcome anyone who might be listening in for the 11 o'clock service? Say hello. We're glad you're with us and uh, would, you, would you open your Bibles and also your notes to Luke chapter 4. We are in the middle of this 21 days of prayer and fasting. Not only here at Cornerstone, but in Las Vegas, there's other Foursquare churches doing the same thing. Around our country, there's Foursquare churches doing the same thing. And around the globe, there are thousands of Foursquare churches being led by our, our president, Randy Remington, that we are in a time of prayer and fasting. You know, I think about the month of January, and it's always an important time, isn't it, to make sure we talk about goals that we, we set new directives and we talk about purpose and we refocus our thoughts and we think about what's important and we think about all these different things and, and also culturally, would you agree, it's, it's a time to set new goals. There's nothing wrong with goal setting, but here's a, an observation I want us to think about as we begin this message today is just because we set new goals, it doesn't mean that every goal we have is good. Did you hear that, church? Right? Just because we set goals, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that every goal that we set is good. We want to make sure in January as we pray and as we fast and as we set new goals, that those goals are based on one thing, that those goals have one priority in mind, and that is that the goals that we set for ourselves will be goals that please the Lord. How many of you agree it's like important that we please the Lord with the goals that we set? Right? It's all about our motives. You can set a goal like I was thinking, I love the show Survivor. Luke, can you bring me down a little bit? I feel like I'm yelling. Am, am I loud out there? You can be honest. No, I'm good. It feels, Karina, thank you. Somebody's on. I feel like I'm booming, right? I feel the echo off the walls. I don't want to be, they're like, man, I went to church and he just yelled at me all day. 
I'm teasing. How many of you love the show Survivor? I love it. Great show. Um, you know, I could set a goal where I could say, you know, I want to get caught up on Survivor. And not only do I want to get caught up, I want to watch all 41 episodes. No, 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 not even episodes, 41 seasons. How about that? My goal for 2022 is to, set, is to watch 41 seasons of Survivor. I want to get totally caught up because you know what? I'm just built for television, right? And I'm built for the couch. I want to watch more TV this year. How many of you know if that's a goal that I have? Like that can be a goal for 2022, but that is, it is highly unlikely that God is going to massively bless that goal of watching more Netflix, more television, all the episodes, all the seasons of the show Survivor, right? On the other hand, there are goals that we can set if done with the right motives, goals that please the Lord. There's a few of them I want to talk about. What kind of goals please Him today? Number one, would you write this down? The goals that bring God glory. If we want to talk about pleasing the Lord, we got to think about goals that point to Him. Goals that are focused on Him. Goals that bring Him the glory. If our attitude is right, you know, everything you can do, everything that you do, everything that you participate in can bring glory to the Lord, right? It's the motivation behind our goals that is the issue. First Corinthians 10, it says this in verse 31, it says, whether you eat or, or you drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. If there's a goal that you set this year that makes you more grateful, more thankful, there's a goal that you set that brings you closer to the Lord, that brings someone else closer to the Lord, that shares the love of Christ with someone, then how many of you know that's a pretty strong, solid, amazing goal? We could have a goal to, you know, there, there are certain things that sound good on paper, but in essence, in the, they could actually also at the same time grieve the heart of God if they're done with impure motives, right? You, we could have a goal to fill up our church and fill every seat that's next to you, right? And even that goal could actually displease the Lord if it's done with the wrong intent. If it's done with the intention that says, you know, look at me, look at us, look at you, look at what we're doing, let's get the attention of, of men, let's not really worry about how we do it, let's strive for human accolades, let's strive for human attention, let's get the adoration of the neighborhood, whatever it is. If it's anything other than God's glory, how many of you know that can be a goal that is displeasing to him. But that very same goal done with the right motives, if it's about, you know what, I want to share the love of Christ someone. That because of me, because I was able to partner with the Lord, somebody sat in that seat. How many of you know that goal then can become a very godly goal that points to him, that pleases him? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9 says, whether we are here in this body or we are away from this body, right? So whether we are here or whether we are in heaven, our goal is to please Him. Pleasing God, we could say it in short, needs to be the motivation behind every goal we set. Would you turn to someone and say, pleasing God, right? Pleasing God is how we need to run our business. Pleasing God is how we need to exist and do relationship in our home, in our family, right? Pleasing God. Number two, another goal that God will bless is a goal that's based on our love. A goal that is based on radical faith. Having faith in Him. Again, God's always interested in the heart motive. 
If we make goals based out of selfish ambition, selfish gain, if our goals are based on fear, sometimes we, we, right, we react based on fear. Somebody taking what's mine, taking my spot, right? God isn't going to bless goals that are based on fear. 1 Corinthians 16, 14, do everything with love. I think the number one lesson God wants to teach us that Jesus lived out is that God wants us to learn to walk through life and he wants us to learn how to love better. <laughs> he wants us to learn, love I think is the number one lesson that God wants us to learn how to act out and live out. I love that scripture, right? Love is what? It's based on actions. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. Love is not self-seeking. It does, it does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not rude. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. How many of you know it would be impossible for relationships and marriages and friendships to end if we lived out that verse constantly? It, right with Valentine's coming up, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't refer to love as this emotional state that you will see very often on, on, on The Bachelor or The Bachelorette TV show where it's just, man, I just, I just fell out of love, right? The Bible talks about love being lived out through our actions. Love helps us also strengthen our faith. When we talk about our goals, if we set goals in faith, those are the type of goals that God will bless. But it's got to be a goal that actually requires God to show himself. Right? Let me hear, like, what I mean by that is, like, sometimes we, we say we have faith, and we, we set goals based on faith, but really that goal looks a little bit more like a to-do list. How many of us are ever guilty of praying, like, very safe prayers? God, I pray that you help me sleep tonight. God, help, you, help, me, help me have time to get to the grocery store. Like, sometimes our prayers and our faith is displayed just like a daily checklist. Instead of something radical where we actually pray and we have faith and we display the type of faith and hope that like we actually need God to show up and make this work. God, I actually need you to show up and I need you to do this. God, I need to actually depend on you to complete this goal. That's the kind of goal that pleases God. It's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6 says it's impossible to please him without faith. The next kind of goal that God blesses before we get into Luke chapter 4 is that our goals that are achieved with his power. This word power is something I want to spend some time speaking about, and we're going to look at where Jesus developed his source of strength. We're going to look in Luke chapter 4 where Jesus developed his source of power. God blesses goals that are achieved through and with his power. You know, every year there are probably hundreds of wonderful books that are written. There's nothing necessarily wrong with them unless they become the thing, not a thing. But there's plenty of books every year that are like self-help, new, new, new fads, new things to do, and, and, and they're more than likely full of useful information. Not bad information, but the thing about any other book that is not, not based in Scripture, that is not, not God's Word, they lack something, and, and that's that none of them will give you the type of power that God's Word will supply you with to sustain you through this walk, through this journey called 
life. There is no self-help book out there that will give you the power to actually, truly forgive someone. Someone who doesn't deserve forgiveness. There's no other book out there that will help you on a daily basis renew your mind. There's no other book out there that will help you take on and combat and do spiritual warfare and do battle with the enemy of your soul. See, this morning as we get going and we talk about goals every January and we, we, we talk about these goals that God will bless, as we look at Jesus in this encounter in the wilderness, you, you can't have a series on prayer and fasting and not bring up Luke chapter 4. Bring up the, 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 the story of Jesus going into the wilderness. You see, to receive power, Jesus did a few things. But one thing that, that we're going to highlight is even Jesus went into God's word to be filled. Jesus used God's word to combat the enemy. And although we have victory over the enemy because of the cross, like Jesus conquered him. Jesus gave us a victory that we have already won. But guess what? There's the truth about our enemy is that even though we have victory over him, he's not going away. We're going to see in this scripture that just because we have victory over the enemy for round one, round two, round three, doesn't mean he's going to not show up for round four. It doesn't mean he just goes away and leaves you alone once you become a Christian. And so how do we experience the power of God on a routine basis that allows us to take him on round after round, fight after fight, season after season, year after year? Because when you live for Jesus and you represent him, you become a spiritual target. Right? Sometimes we think like you accept the Lord, you're doing the right thing. Man, I started, I started serving, I started doing all these different things, and life just got worse, it got harder. Oh, I bet you it did. Because now you matter to the enemy. Right? Now you're on his radar, now you show up, now it's time to, like when you weren't doing anything for the Lord, I think sometimes he's, he's, he's very happy to leave you alone. I don't, need, I don't need to do anything, let's keep them on the couch watching Survivor for 41 seasons. Right? Like, that's cool. Stay there. Stay where you're at. Fasting and prayer. It's one of the greatest ways we can do spiritual battle. If you have your Bible, would you, you open it to Luke chapter 4? And even this week or even right now, if you could just kind of glance at Luke chapter 3. Kind of the context of where Jesus has been at this moment in time. In Luke chapter 3, it's this moment where Jesus gets baptized. The time has come. It's almost time, Jesus, to go public with your ministry. Jesus is baptized. It's almost time for him to, to make himself known. He gets baptized in Luke chapter 3, and then something interesting happens. In Luke chapter 4, he disappears. The Bible says he disappears for 40 days. He goes into the wilderness to seek God. He goes into the wilderness to pray. He goes into the wilderness to fast, but he also goes into the wilderness to receive power for what is coming, and he goes into the wilderness to do spiritual battle. You have a Bible, let's look at verse 1, Luke chapter 4, verse 1, and let's read it together this morning. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, so look at what he had. He had a relationship with the Father, and in verse 1, it says right off the bat, it says he'd been baptized. He is full of the Holy Spirit. He returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into, into the wilderness. Verse 2, now it gets interesting, church. 
How many of you know if the devil actually has the gall, he actually has the guts, he actually has the moxie to try to tempt the Son of God, how many of you know he's going to tempt us? Right? He's going he's gonna to actually like, he's actually going to attempt this in verse 2. Verse 2, where Jesus was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. It's almost as if Jesus is going on this journey. He's starting off this season in the wilderness. It's almost as he, he needs he needs a boost energy drink. He needs some spiritual fuel. He needs a spiritual Red Bull. He needs to get filled with the Holy Spirit. He needs God to show up in a big way. And what does he do? He heads into the wilderness to get alone with God. He heads into the wilderness to get that extra strength to combat the enemy. He gives up something in the physical to see God fill him up in the spiritual. You know what's interesting to me is during this 40 days, Jesus didn't ask for food. He didn't ask for change. He didn't ask for healing. He didn't ask for God to fix anything. He didn't ask to escape his mission. He actually began his mission in the wilderness. He began his mission with prayer. He began his mission with fasting. It's like he went into the wilderness to get filled up to begin his mission. Often, if you're, if you're like me, I often will pray, and even during this, this time of prayer and fasting, I've been praying for specific things, but if I'm honest, a lot of my prayers involve, God, would you heal this situation? Have you prayed that at all during this 20? A lot of my prayers have been, God, will you fix this situation? God, this isn't making sense to me. Will you show up and change this situation? Amen? Like a lot of our prayers, it's, it's almost like we, we fasted, we pray, and it's almost like, God, I need to get out of something. What's interesting to me is Jesus fasted and Jesus prayed as he was going into the fire. He was getting ready to start something. He was beginning to begin, to, to begin his mission, to begin this, this journey. Here, here's something I, I realize as we walk with the Lord year after year and through. Even this week, we've had as a church just some, some heartbreaking things come up in the life of our church and with some family members and different things. Often we, we fast and we pray so God will fix a situation, but sometimes God wants us to fast and pray so he can take us through a situation. He doesn't want us to necessarily run from every situation that we face, right? We think of those, those young men as they faced the fire. God didn't deliver them from it, but he definitely took them in it, and he took them through it, and he brought them out of it. Today, it's often, it seems like culturally, it's just okay to quit, like culturally, it's acceptable. Like you want to quit something, quit it. Quit your, if, if, you, if you are tired of that spouse, just trade them in, right? We treat marriage like used cars. Just, you know what, just quit it. Don't, don't, don't pray for power to actually fix it. Don't, don't fast, don't pray, don't actually ask God to show up with you in that battle, but just, just quit and, 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 and move on, right? Culturally, that's what a lot would tell you because you deserve it, Right? You deserve happiness is what culture will often say, right? There are situations in life that we need God's power to confront a problem, to go into battle and face that problem head on. We don't, it's not to quit or, or, or change it necessarily. The enemy was out to stop Jesus in this portion of Scripture. He made it a point, like he had the gall 
to, to approach him, to tempt him. So we better understand that if, if the enemy makes it a point to stop Jesus, then he's going to definitely make it a point to stop us. He's going to make it a point to get us to want to wanna quit. Let's look at verse 3. Here we go. A conversation begins in Luke chapter 4, verse 3. Would you read it with me, church? Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. There are three things in this passage that we are going to see God allow in this scripture. Number one, would you write this down? Number one, Satan offers Jesus a few things. You know what the first thing is he offers him? He offers Jesus satisfaction without God. If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. I know you can do it. Jesus, you know you can do it. I know you can change it. I know you can transform it. Tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. I don't know about you. It's safe to say, like, it says Jesus fasted for 40 days. And the end of that scripture, look at the way it phrases this. It just says, he became very hungry. This must be like the understatement of the century, right? He became very hungry. Oh, very hungry. 40 days, like, oh my goodness, like some health issues had to have been coming up, right? He became very hungry. He became so dependent on the Lord. The enemy says, tell the stone to become bread. You're God's son, just, just do it. Snap your fingers, turn it to bread. I know you can, so Jesus, why would you say no? Let's look at verse 4. This conversation continues. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone. Jesus responds by explaining Scripture to the enemy. Um, I don't know that there would be anything wrong under other circumstances for Jesus to turn a stone into bread and eat it, right? We see in the Bible Jesus turns water into wine at a wedding feast. We see Jesus feed the multitudes. He, he, he multiplies the bread and the fish. So he works in the supernatural. But I think here's the issue with this story and in this moment and at this time. Jesus says, of course I can do this, right? I understand I can definitely do this. But I'm not going to do it, devil, because this is your plan. I'm not going to do this because this is your idea, these are your instructions. Jesus says, I would rather go hungry than listen to the instructions of the enemy. I'd rather wait for God to show up and drop manna from heaven. Maybe he will, maybe he won't, but I'm not going to partner with you. I'm not going to do anything that was your idea. I'm not going to touch anything that the enemy says to touch. See, there's nothing wrong with the gift. There's nothing wrong with the bread. But it's this idea, where does that bread come from? Where does the idea come from? Where is the source of that bread, right? Jesus is like, I'm not going to touch anything that comes from the enemy. I'm not going to displease my father for a moment of satisfaction to fill my belly when I'm very, very hungry, starving. But I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to walk away and displease my heavenly father. I'm not going to pray these prayers that are all about me, 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 worrying about me. You know, often, you know, it's interesting, we, we love God's blessings, don't we? We love God's gifts, but sometimes if we aren't careful, it's, it's easy to fall more in love with the gifts of God, and it's easy to drift away from God. 
It's easy to fall in love with his blessings and the things he, he's done for us. And it's easy to fall out of love with that relationship that we, that we had. The next test Jesus faced, would you look at verse 5? Then the devil, he took him up. He revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Verse 6, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms. I'll give you authority over them, the devil said. Because they are mine to give to anyone I please, I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Would you, look, would you read that out loud with me? You hear, can we read verse 7? Let's read it together. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. It's a big if. If you will worship me. See, the next thing that the devil offers Jesus, he says, I'll give you success. I'll give you a name, I'll give you a job, I'll give you celebrity, I'll give you, I'll give you recognition if you will worship you, me. I'll give you authority. I'll give you kingdoms. Jesus, I'll fill your pocketbook. Jesus, I'll, I'll give you the world. Jesus, I'll make you powerful. All right, and, but, but, but here's, the, here's the caveat, Jesus. We're going to do it without God. We're going to have success, and we're not going to involve him in that success, right? This idea hit me this week as I was studying. Just because you have blessing, just because you have stuff, just because you have things doesn't mean that they are blessed. It doesn't always mean that they're of God. It doesn't mean that you have been truly blessed. Does that stuff actually come from God or is it possible that, look at this verse, if we really think about it and we think about the fall and we think about how, 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 how something was broken in the Garden of Eden, when sin entered the world, is it possible that some of the gifts we have haven't been given by God? Is it possible that some of the gifts we have, right, that like if our heart motives are in the wrong place, is it possible that some of those blessings aren't actually blessings, but is it possible that those blessings could be a distraction in disguise, right? If the enemy can't defeat you, he definitely most likely will attempt to do something he's very good at, and that is to keep you distracted, is to keep you ineffective, to keep you from living a life of purpose, a life of mission, right? A life of, of, of faith. I had a friend, or actually, can we look at, look at verse 7 real quick and 6. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them. He says this, because they are mine. They're mine to give to anyone I want. And I'll give it all to you if you will worship me. I'll give it all to you if you'll be distracted. I'll give it all to you if you'll be indifferent. I'll give it all to you if you will worship someone else, is what the enemy says. I had a friend, and reviewing the last two years of um, trauma has been an interesting season. There's a lot of things that have gone on. And in the last two years, I've seen a few things happen that are heartbreaking. But one of the, the, the more heartbreaking things I, I've, I've seen is I had a really good friend that was blessed with a massive career change, blessed with a much greater salary, blessed with better work hours, blessed with better benefits, blessed with a job that he was totally like not expecting to get. And over the course of this last two years, this, this, this process unfolded where his response to that blessing was to 
leave his wife, leave his kids, walk out of his house, walk out of serving God. And I think about that situation in particular. Was, was that blessing actually a gift from God? What was maybe what was going on in the heart clearly had developed long before maybe that blessing occurred. But I think about, did, did God give him that new career so he could walk out on his family? Did God give him that new financial setup so he could no longer tithe? And like, I don't have time, I, I, have, I have such a big house and I have so many blessings and I have a, a second boat or whatever it is that I don't have to tithe anymore. God, I don't need to trust in you with my finances anymore, right? Did God give him that blessing so he could all of a sudden not lead his kids anymore? Would God give you, I think about that, would God give you such a big house, such a big blessing that now you don't need to, you know, you just, you just I can't possibly give and trust in him anymore. I can't give back to him. Satan says these words. Look at that verse. Satan says, it was given to me, and I can give it to whoever I will. Is God the only one who can give gifts? If God, is God the only one who can give gifts? Because look what he says to Jesus. If you worship what? If you worship me you worship me, I'll give it to you, right? Sometimes I think our praise can be directed at the wrong person. Our praise can be directed at the wrong person. I'll, in exchange for your worship, Jesus, I will give it to you. Let's look at verse 8. Jesus replied again. Notice how poignant Jesus is with Scripture. He doesn't give the devil a foothold. He doesn't ask him how his day is going. He doesn't entertain him or let him get close enough. But what does he weaponize? Jesus uses the word of God. He uses God's word. And he says this. Verse 8. Scriptures say, you must worship the Lord and serve him only. Would you underline the words worship and would you underline the words serve? It's two very different portions of scripture. Underline the words worship and serve two different, there is a difference that Jesus points out in verse 8 compared to what the enemy is saying in verse 6 and 7. The enemy said, I will give it all to you if you what? If you worship me. But Jesus says, scriptures actually say, devil, worship the Lord your God and you serve only him. See, Satan always tends to offer this shortcut type relationship, doesn't he? Right? He, he, and, and, and I remember, like, like sh there's nothing necessarily wrong with shortcuts when you're driving through traffic. Sometimes we thank God for, I remember, like, years and years ago when, like, Dean Martin Boulevard was born, like, May, now it's crowded, but it used to be a shortcut back in the day. Now it doesn't seem like it's much of a shortcut, right? But sometimes, like, in the physical shortcuts, but in the spiritual, the enemy offers Jesus a shortcut type relationship. But the reality is with God, with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, your service reflects who you worship. So it's easy to come to church and sing out songs, to give him our praise. It's easy to throw out a scripture off the top of your head. It's easy to do those things. But the worship part, it's, it's, it's quickly spoken. Praises, 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 praises and opinions are quickly given. But the Bible says it's about who we serve. Would you write this question down in your notes? Who are you serving? Who gets your service? 
right? We give God our worship, but Jesus said, no, no, no. It's a little bit more than that. Worship the Lord your God and serve him. Do we catch that? Like a little addendum that we like to leave off because often it's, it's so easy to speak praise, but who gets you? Who gets your gifts? Who gets your talent? Who gets your finances? Who gets your personality? Whatever. Who gets you? Who gets your service? Because who you serve is actually who you worship. If you don't serve him, you actually are worshiping something else or someone else. Who gets your service? Not just singing. You know, the thing about even scripture, scripture is wonderful. Scripture is life-changing. But it, it, it matters more which scriptures you actually live than how many scriptures you actually know. Do you hear that, church? Like, yes, we need to know Scripture. Yes, it needs to be hidden in your heart. But if it doesn't move from your heart to your hands, if you don't actually live the Scriptures you know, then you actually are fooling yourself and you don't believe those very Scriptures because you don't do them. Satan offers Jesus a road to ruling that is a shortcut. Almost as if G Satan is saying, like, Jesus, I will let you rule. I will give you this earth. And we don't need to involve a cross. We don't need to involve pain. We don't need to involve humiliation. We don't need to involve all these different things. See, Jesus knew what, his, what he was there to do. Jesus knew. Jesus was there. He, he was there to establish a new kingdom, a new reign, and a new rule. And the enemy did not want that to take place. He says, Jesus, I'll, I'll give it to you all, but it'll be a little bit easier. I'll give, you this, this, I'll give you this reign and this rule, and we won't have to deal with a cross. But the Bible says that Jesus knew the glory that set before him. Speaking about, Jesus knew about heaven. He knew the glory set before him. The Bible says that he endured the cross. The next test Jesus faced in the wilderness was this. Look at verse 9. The devil now took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the Son of God, jump off. Look at this. Verse 9, if you're the son of God, Jesus be Superman off the Mirage Hotel. It's thought of that the, the temple in Jerusalem at this time under King Herod, the highest point, and this is where we think that the enemy took him, was 450 feet tall. A little bit of context right then. About 450 feet high, and it's likely that Satan took Jesus to this section of the temple, and he challenged him to be Superman. He said, Jesus, here we go. You've been, you, know, you know what this is all about, Jesus. If you are the Son of God, which I know you are, you know you are, go ahead and jump off. And now it gets interesting. Would you look at verse 10? Because you think you need to know Scripture. Well, here's another reason why. Of course we do, but this is interesting to me. Guess who also knows some Scripture? Guess who also begins to quote Scripture? Now the enemy turns the tables a little bit. He's like, all right, you want to talk to me about Scripture? Well, doesn't the Scripture also say this? And don't we do this a little bit culturally? Like we always like, we like to pull out the scriptures we agree with or the scriptures we like or we like to talk about, you know, well in the Old Testament and shellfish and this and that, right? Don't we do that like culturally in, in Christianity, right? We like to pull out the scriptures that matter to us a little bit to prove our point, whatever it is. Well, Jesus, look at verse 10. The scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you. The enemy's referencing a scripture from Psalm 91. He says, that, well, in Psalm 91, Jesus, you know this scripture. It says, he will order his angels to protect you and guard you. 
and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Satan offers Jesus power without God. He says, Jesus, I know you can do it. You can be Superman. Let's go temple jumping. <laughs> you can go jump this thing. He offers him power without God. He challenged him to, to do this miraculous thing. Jesus, leap off. Surely God is not going to let harm come to his own son. <laughs> Which actually we know that to not be the case. Because there comes a point where God couldn't even look upon his own son because he took on all the sin of us. And God had to turn away and he said, oh my gosh, I can't even look upon the cross because of all of that sin. I think the enemy knows, and I think of like how culture has changed through the years. I'm like a child of the 80s and 90s, and I don't know if any of you grew up in that time period, but when I was a kid, you could not wear a, a Spider-Man shirt in public. Anybody laugh, right? You couldn't, right? You could not wear a, like, I love the X-Men. You could not wear a superhero shirt to baseball practice or whatever it is. Nowadays, like, we love superheroes. But back then it was like, like, we all loved them, but it was kind of like you had to keep it hidden, right? Like, I remember, like, right? You couldn't, you couldn't tell your buddies, like, I still got a few X-Men in the closet, right? I got my Wolverine. Back then it was like you kind of had to hide that. Now we love superheroes. And here's the reason why I think I love superheroes, because they're powerful, they have power. I think of what they can do. They can show, like, look at everybody. Look what I can do. Look how powerful I am. And that's what the enemy challenges Jesus. He says, show everyone how good you are. Perform for them. Show off, Jesus. Show them, show them some miracles. Show them how cool you are. Show them you're the Son of God. When everybody sees it, they're going to believe in you. When everybody sees it, they're going to worship you. The enemy offers Jesus power, but he says, we can do it without God because we can do it our way. You don't need to rely on him, Jesus. You don't need to rely on him. Just jump. And when everyone sees you be Superman off this 450-foot mirage hotel temple, they're going to see this miraculous thing take place. And Jesus, they're going to, of course, they're going to worship you when they see the miraculous, right? One more thing we move on as, before, as we get ready to close. As I said, um, the enemy knows Scripture, doesn't he? The enemy knows a little bit of scripture. It says he will order his angels to protect you, to guard you. They'll hold you up with their hands so you won't even get hurt. It's almost like the enemy and Jesus have a Bible study together. They're like, here's what it says. No, here's what it says, right? But Satan leaves something out. And we do this, in, and I said this already, we, we do this, don't we, in, in culture, and we do this. We leave out, <laughs> we leave out the whole context of the scripture. See, Satan references Psalm 91, but here's what Psalm 91 says. Look at verse 9, if you would, with me. I think we've got it on the, on the, on the, sc on the uh, screen. Do we have that verse? Psalm 91, verse 9. Maybe you have it on your phone. I don't know. It says, if you make the Lord your refuge. There it is. If you make the Most High your shelter. It says, then no evil will conquer you, no plague will come near you for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone see the enemy leaves out verse 9 doesn't he like he, he quotes scripture but he leaves he, he, he just quotes the promise how many of us love the promise 
Because we love the gifts. Go back to the beginning, right? We love the gifts. The enemy doesn't quote the premise. He just gives you the promise. And we all love a good promise. We all love a good gift. But it says, if you make the Lord your reference. Some, some translations say this. They say, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. I would say, because you've made the Lord your home, then he will order his angels to protect you. The Bible did say, like Satan did quote scripture, but the Bible didn't say it in the way that the enemy meant it. You don't just, Jesus, Jesus is like, I'm not just going to go off and show off and be Superman and do what I want to do so people will look at me. The enemy's like, Jesus, you don't need to be humble. Jesus, you don't need to wait for God's leading. Jesus, just show everybody what you got. Jesus, be a performer. Uh, Dad, as you're playing piano over there, what's that scripture? I grew up and he always, there was this scripture we love and there were songs written about it. And it's always this idea in scripture. Here it is. The truth will what? The truth will set you free. That promise, doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound good? No? Some of us, you guys are like, I don't know, bread, stones, hungry, 40 days, wilderness, lunchtime, right? Jason's Deli's calling, but hold on, folks, right? So we love that scripture, the truth will set you free. But, and you're not mic'd up, but can you, you've got a loud voice. The full con, can you, can you give me the, the premise to that promise? Because there's a lot more to it. So, so let me let me let me give the premise one more time because there's an if, and that's a big if. The scripture say it for me one more time. If you obey my commands, and in all your ways, if you acknowledge me, if you follow me. So culturally, it's interesting, we have this, even this statement, right? Live your truth. <laughs> Live your truth. Well, the Bible, that, that's, that almost sounds biblical, doesn't it? That's got to be in the Bible somewhere, right? If it isn't, I'll just make it up and post it on Instagram. It looks, it looks encouraging, right? Live your truth. But the Bible says, if you obey my commands... If you become my disciples, then you will know me and you will know what truth is and that truth will set you free. And what it's referencing, it'll set you free from the power of sin. It'll set you free from death. It'll, it'll give you eternal life. That truth will be something you could never have known without the grace of God. That's the premise of that promise. But we love to just focus on the promise, don't we? Jesus responded, Look at verse 12 as we wrap up this Bible study today. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, devil, you must not test the Lord your God. And what does this mean to test the Lord? Here's what it means. It means like you're not going to put God on the spot. You're not going to make God perform to get you out of your bad decision making. <laughs> right? Sometimes we do that like, God, I need you to show up because I made such a poor choice. You need to fix this. And what, the, what, what, what Jesus is saying, you must not test the Lord. He says, 
I'm not going to exercise authority over my heavenly Father. That's like putting God in a place where he's forced to show up, and now God is forced to serve us. Which Jesus says, that is not a place I'm going to be. Verse 13, this is a blowout victory here. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him. But look at the end of verse 13. It doesn't say that he left him forever. It doesn't say that he didn't show up again. It doesn't say that, you know what? Just because he got beat this Sunday, and just because the enemy got skunked, all right, Jesus, three points, enemy, zero points. But look at what it says here. It says he left him until the next opportunity came. The enemy left. Check mark, Jesus, you win this round. But guess what, homeboy? I'm coming back. I'm going to show up again, and I'm going to try to tempt you again. You know, as long as we are breathing, as long as we are running this race called life, until we breathe our last breath, until this race is complete, we are going to deal with an enemy of our souls. And it says he's going to come back. And there might be some of us here, it's like, man, you have won round two, round three, round four, but guess what? He's coming for a fifth round. He's coming in a new season. So how do we deal with him? How do we deal with him as Jesus dealt with him? Jesus dealt with him with a few things that are so available to us. It says right there in, in Luke chapter 4, the very first verse, it says Jesus had a relationship with the Father, and it says Jesus was now filled with the Holy Spirit. Those sound like two things we have access to today, doesn't it? And then there's a third thing that Jesus, how did Jesus get power? How did he combat the enemy in the wilderness? The third thing was, is he had scripture. Jesus had the word of God. So Jesus had a relationship to the Father. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was armed with God's word. Sounds like three things we could still use today, doesn't it? How many of you know if Jesus weaponized and used scripture to deal with the enemy of our souls, it's probably way more important for us to use it, right? If Jesus had to rely on it, if he had to use it, how many of you know, oh my goodness, <laughs> we better get in it. We better know it. We better use it. I think it's interesting. It only took three verses and they weren't even like Jesus barely used any words, right? Man does not live on bread alone. It only took three scriptures for the enemy to get the heck out of there, right? He didn't, he didn't have to quote like John 3, 16 and the whole thing. Jesus used three simple scriptures, and it's like the enemy is allergic to it. It's like hyperallergenic. Like, break that. I got to get out of here. I got to go. Three scriptures, and he takes off. Jesus had this victory during this fast, and really what he was doing, he was fasting for power so he could accomplish his mission. His mission was to conquer death for us, to make a way for imperfect people to have access to the Heavenly Father. And how many of you know, if Jesus could accomplish his mission, if Jesus could have victory over the cross, if Jesus could have victory over the grave using this relationship to the Father, being filled with the Holy Spirit, knowing God's Word. How many of you know that victory is even more so available to God's people right here, right now, here today? Somebody say amen. Let's bow our heads. God, we come to you. We thank you for this time in your Word. God, we pray that your Scripture... God, your Scripture just marinates in our heart today. God, that your Scripture speaks to us. We come before you today, God, 
Help us to pray bold prayers, big prayers, powerful prayers. God, help us to stop playing it safe in our church life, in our faith. Because God, your word declares that you're able to do immeasurably more than we can ask, than we can imagine. So God, we pray for that broken relationship. God, we pray for that wandering child. God, help us to, to, to not pray wimpy prayers. You know, God, if it's your will, God, if it's your will, help, help my kid come back to you. God, if it's your will, help, 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 my, help my child break this addiction. If, if it's your will, of course it's your will. We know your truth. God, bring them home. God, bring that prodigal kid home. I pray it with a sense of boldness and faith. God, for all that marriage that's broken, heal it. Of course you want that covenant relationship healed and restored. Because, God, you can do more than we can imagine. God, don't bring attention to us, but, God, bring attention to the kingdom that you are building. God, thank you for building your kingdom. Your word says that anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus acknowledges him, that they will be saved, saved from sin. But also, we, we always talk about sin, but what are we supposed to live for? When we are saved, we live for something. And that's we live for the joy of the Lord. We live to serve and we live to partner with him. We learn to see him move. We serve. We are set aside for a life of ministry, a life of reflecting the love of a good, holy God. So God, thank you. Can we just say this today? Jesus, I give you my life. If you've prayed that 10 times, 20 times, or never before, could you just say that in your mind or say it out loud? Can we say it as a church? Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for saving me. But God, you have created me to serve, to love, to live a life reflecting you. So Jesus, I invite you to do that now. In your name, all God's people say amen. Amen, amen. Can we just applaud him? Can we praise him? God, we, we thank you today. Thank you for joining us today, and a special thanks to those who give to Cornerstone. You know, it's because of you, our ministry, it's possible. Uh, you can click the link in the description to give now or visit us at cornerstonelv.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with friends, share it with family, help us spread God's word. You can also join us live every Sunday. We invite you, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We stream service live. Thank you again for listening.